Okay, so I'm going to preach now. So I think you are, in, well, you, I know you are, in a series on um, uh, Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And if you're new to the Bible, sorry, this is, you need a bigger lectern, just saying. Uh, it's going so well. There we go, let's do that. Right. I need a smaller Bible, maybe. That's what it is. Uh, anyway, I want to talk to you about commitment. If you've got a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. We'll get there in a minute. But I don't know what you, you think about um, when you hear the word commitment. How does it make you feel? You don't have to say it, obviously. Just think about it. I guess it depends on what you're being asked to commit to, doesn't it? Really. Yeah, it means to be devoted to something, to give yourself to something. So the question is, what am I being asked? And, and I'm not sure if I've told this story here or not, so forgive me if I have, but it's stuck in my brain so much, particularly around this word commitment. Early on in my Christian life, my dear friend Graham Hall, who was one of the elders at King's, and uh, he, he, he once said to me, um, I hadn't been a Christian very long, and uh, he got to know each other quite well, and he just said to me one day, he said, Toby, do you know what your problem is? said, you can't commit. I'm like this 26, 27-year-old, something like that. And, um, and it, did, it, did it kind of offend me slightly? Yes. Yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? I can't commit. You know. But actually, he, he'd hit the nail on the head about what real commitment looks like, about what really giving yourself to something looks like. It was in the early days, before I'd started working for Kings or anything like that, before I understood what God wanted for my life. It was a really key moment to understand what commitment is and what it looks like. And when I think of commitment as well, and what does it look like, I, uh, for some reason, it goes to um, Eddie the Eagle. I don't know anyone seen that film. The, um, he's a skier. He was the British guy who became the first Olympic whatever for in ski jumping in years. It's a, it's a great film. And that man was committed. I mean, goodness me, the, the level of just persistence and doggedness and keeping going in the face of discouragement and people trying to keep him back and hold him down and say, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And he's just going, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And he does it. It's a beautiful picture of commitment. Now, in Nehemiah, we've seen the people there, they've committed themselves to the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. In face of opposition, in face of discouragement, they've remained loyal and they've remained dedicated. And people over here, the reason we're sitting here today is because of people's loyalty and dedication in the church here in Beckles. Because people have gone before us. And we keep going, we keep going, we keep being committed to these things. But that's why. And so we've got this little verse. I'm going to preach from kind of chapter 10, which I'll touch on in a minute. It's quite a lot of names, and I'm not going to even attempt to read them all out. But I just want to read um, chapter 9, verse 38, and we'll kind of launch in from there. It says this, Now, because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing, or a binding agreement. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. We are making a binding agreement. They were committing to something. Now in view of all what? Well in chapter 7 when you read through Nehemiah you've got this 
return from exile and um, they take a census. They work out, okay, who are the names that have come out of exile? These are people that have come out of captivity and they've come back to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, you've got this restoring of their identity. They rediscover God's law, God's word. And, and that's where we get that verse in there of the, 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 the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's in the context of the word of God being read out and then being reminded of this word, the way of God's way of living and what it means to honour God. And there's joy there. And then in chapter 9 you get this kind of retelling of their history and their story, of who they are, their identity. That they're, they're, you know, that they're not a kind of, just a random bunch of people. There is a, a history to them. There is a purpose to them. That, that God has got hold of them with Abraham. They're moving forward through the Old Testament. And that there's a sense of, there is genuine meaning in your life. That we're not just a collection of random kind of atoms banging around this universe that by chance we happen to have collated into this form. That there's genuine meaning behind it. don't know what you think about that. Maybe you think it's just all meaningless. That we're just here by chance. Well, here this reading in them as a people. Whoops. back on again. God's involvement with their history. And they say, in view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. We are making a commitment. It doesn't sound like they're kind of making a vague sort of, do you know what? Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes, won't we? <laughs> you know, all that history stuff and all that God's word stuff and all those promises and all that sacrifice and all those people gone before us. Well, I'll tell you what, do you know what? We'll, we'll kind of stand edge and see how it goes. We are making a binding agreement. We're committing. We're saying we're all in. This is what they are saying. It's to shape their lives on the promises of God and what God has said. And ultimately, these Old Testament promises, they point us to Jesus. It means as a Christian, he's someone who has given their life over to follow him. Him as Lord. We've sung it in the songs. Jesus is Lord. He's over all things. He's the one we submit to, the one we surrender to, the one we give our lives over to, the one that we follow. And they wrote this down in a binding agreement. Anyway, so what does it mean to commit then? Well, the first thing we see is their commitment to follow, to follow was a response to revelation. Um, some people say sometimes, that, you know, that how can you believe sort of the Bible and this revelation of God. This is what, who Jesus is. He's the ultimate revelation of who God is. And, and revelation is an absolutely legitimate and normal, actually, to come to understand truth. Yeah? There are, there are some things you will never, ever, 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 ever know about me. You can find out loads of things. You could go, I don't know, ask my wife, Jean. You can ask friends what I'm like and my history. You could probably find out. But there are some things you'll never know about me unless I choose to reveal them to you. It's a revelation. And then you come to a knowledge of truth. No, you want to test that. I might be lying. I might be making it up. You want to look for some other stuff around it. But do you know what? That's a legitimate way to understand truth is Revelation. And their commitment to follow was in this revelation of who God was, what God had done in the past, what God had done for them as a people. And actually it was their revelation of their failure as well, because if you read through chapter 9, it says things like this in verse 28. It says, this is the people of God, they cried out to you again, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. 
In other words, they kind of went forward following God and then they failed, then they went forward following God, then they failed. And the only consistency and utter faithfulness that is shot through the entire Bible and certainly through the Old Testament there in these stories is the commitment and the faithfulness of God. That's it. He's the one who comes shining in this. Not us. But this is a picture of God's commitment to us and their commitment to say we're a binding agreement, we're committing to this is on the back of this revelation of God's grace to them and them knowing the joy, remember the joy of the Lord is your strength, then knowing that joy that comes from coming out of exile, God's work in their lives, bringing them into a place of freedom. Yeah? That's the gospel. It's right there. Romans chapter 3 that Paul writes, we all fall short. Romans chapter 5, where sin abounds, what does grace do? Super abounds, over the top abounds. It's like grace upon grace. It's like, wow, this is the grace of God. And it's so important that we get this, that God delights not in making de- demands of us, like commit to me, but in meeting our needs and our deepest needs, our forgiveness. That's grace. What if we end up committing to things in church life and as a Christian out of any other foundation than the undeserved grace of God and his total love towards us and what he has done for us time and time again, out of that grace, I tell you, you get weary, you get tired, you get fed up, you don't want to keep serving. All these things, it's because we've got to come from a place of grace. That's where commitment comes from. That's where, like James has mentioned, giving. In, in that bit in 2 Corinthians, in chapter, in chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, Paul's like, God loves a cheerful giver. Because what did he say? You haven't got to give out of obligation. <sighs> All right. So no one's putting, oh, oh, well, I better do it because we're meant to do it as Christians. We're meant to give. No, 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 no. Get the grace of God, the grace of giving. Paul says, excel in this grace. Grace is at the foundation of it all. So how are you living? Are you living in a way to serve? Why are you serving? They're good questions to ask. Why are we serving? Why are we giving? How am I living? Is it coming from this place of revelation of the grace of God? Jesus is that revelation. And everything we do from that place. What's our motivation for serving? Again, a good question to ask ourselves. What's motivating us to serve? What's motivating ourselves to give? Because if it isn't grace, it won't last long, and it won't be very cheerful, (laughs) to be honest. It won't. You won't know the joy of the Lord being your strength if you don't get the grace bit first. I'm sure you've heard this before, this quote, that we try to live so God will love us rather than living because we're already loved. We try and live so God will love us rather than living because we're already loved. Or, you know, we we work or serve for God's acceptance rather than from his acceptance of us. That's the gospel. We get that in our heads. I need to get that in my head. I need to live from that place. Commitment to follow is a response to this revelation of God's grace ultimately seen in the person of Christ. Spend time in the Gospels. Spend time reading about Jesus. Spend time in stories like the story of the prodigal in Luke 15. That should never grow, um, uh, you should never grow kind of familiar with it. This grace of God that is exhibited there in the stories Jesus tells in his wonderful love and grace towards us. So that's the first thing commitment flows from. Second thing is this commitment to follow is done together with others. I love it that it says we are making. Not making, 
we are making. There is a commitment together as a people. And we do live in such a highly individualistic culture. I mean, chapter 10, verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the, this, get, this isn't an individual, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the singers, that's you, the temple um, servants and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, the law of God, their wives, their sons and their daughters. You kind of get the thing, it goes on and on. It's people together, it's we, not I. And we do live in a highly individualistic culture. And there's this great little book called um, Selfie. How the West became self-obsessed. And he's not a Christian who's written this, but he, he quotes um, this philosopher, Ayn Rand. You may have heard of her, you may not. And she says this, a little quote at the beginning of the book. I am done with the monster of we. The word of serfdom, servanthood, of plunder, of misery, falsehood and shame. This is what she's saying about we. And now I see the face of God. And I raise this God over the earth. And by the way, this is a philosopher who's influenced massively in Western culture. This God who men have sought since men came into being. This God who will grant them joy. What a claim. And peace and pride. This God, this one word, I. The individual. It was her philosophy, among many, but has filtered down into our culture over decades and is influencing our culture now that we live in such a highly individualistic culture that to speak with the language of we is so important, to sing in the language of we, to speak about that in the terms of the church. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is what? My Father in heaven? Our Father. Maybe we're meant to pray that together a bit. That's the point. It is we. And we don't do this commitment on our own. The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, be true to yourself. Jesus says, be true to me. The way of Jesus, the way of the cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, isn't done as an individual thing. It's done together. And when you read verses like this, I mean, Romans 12, verse 5. It says, so in Christ, though many, right? have a little look around, we're many in this room, it's not just one in this room, is it? I know it feels a bit weird, doesn't it, looking around, but, you know, feel free. Though many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. Now, when I read verses like that, it's very easy to move on and sort of, you know, okay, great, what's the next bit in the preach or the next bit in the verse or whatever? But just ponder that for a minute. Each member belongs to the other. If you're a Christian, you're part of the church, you belong to each other. That's a deep word there, isn't it? That's, that's not, a, I attend a meeting with someone, is it? It's not just I happen to go to the same church as someone. It's a deep belonging, like in a family. Yeah, I belong to my family. And that's the same for the church family as well. It's a rich word. We do this commitment deal together. Out of grace, but together. 
And that's so important. I know you know this. I know this is teaching granny to suck eggs, as it were. And I still don't know where that phrase comes from. If anyone knows the the history of the phrase, teaching granny to suck eggs, I'd love to know it, genuinely. Um, But I know you know it. But I love, again, in the Bible, in the letters, you get um, uh, Paul in Thessalonians. He talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, hey, I know you really love each other. But, but do it more and more. And in 2 Thessalonians, again, he says the same thing. It's like he doesn't get bored with saying to them, hey, love one another, love one another, love one another, because that's going to be the key hallmark of the local church, actually, is your deep love for one another. John 15, John 16, John, you know, where Jesus talks about it there. That's what we're called to. Again, I know you know it, but keep giving yourselves to it. Keep asking yourselves, what does it mean to belong for me to belong, others to belong to me and me to belong to them. What does that mean in my daily life? What does it mean to love other people, to love those in the church? And I know you're doing it. But Paul has no problem saying more and more, so I've got no Paul says. <laughs> Third thing, our commitment to follow, it affected their daily lives. In chapter 10, verse 30, when you start reading through it, um, where are we, verse 30? Here we go. And that we will not give our... Right, here we go. They're saying, we're not going to give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. As to the peoples of the land who bring wares or the grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we'll not buy them from them on the Sabbath or the holy day. We'll forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We'll also place ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And it goes on and talks about all the things they're going to do in their lives. In other words, this commitment to follow Jesus that's built on grace, that's done together, affects our daily living. And again, I know you know it. But this is what happens here. And we see it affects them in all sorts of ways. How they treated the the land, the world around them. How they worked. Traders would be coming in on the Sabbath. You know, from their surrounding cultures coming in. And the temptation would be, well, surely we can just sell some stuff on the Sabbath. Surely it's not that special a day, is it? they set apart and they're, they're, they, they could be tempted to kind of compromise their way of life because of the pressure of surrounding cultures imagine it you know if, if you're struggling to feed your family and on the Sabbath you could sell some more stuff the pressure of these traders kind of coming in going come on think of the pressure you might be under to compromise it is no different in our culture is it in terms of the pressures and the surrounding culture to compromise what we believe the Bible says, what we believe Jesus actually teaches, and then to live that out in our everyday lives where we find ourselves. Whether it's at home, whether it's with neighbours, whether it's friends, within family, within school, within university, within work, wherever we find ourselves. This commitment to follow affected their daily lives. It rearranged things for them. It's costly. And it was for them and it will be for us. There was a commitment to the temple. There was a commitment to how they treated others, cancelling debts and forgiveness and so on. This commitment to the temple was a commitment to the church. And let me just commend, commend you guys. Everything James said about that gift day is you giving it away completely to benefit other people. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's wonderful. You're not giving because you think, oh great, we can do some more stuff or, or have a bigger lectern. Um, <laughs> you're not saying that you're giving it away totally and utterly for the benefit of other people that you might never meet in your life what a beautiful picture of God's grace eh? 
What a beautiful picture. So that's three things. Commitment to follow is a response to revelation. It's done with others. It affects our daily lives. Then finally, this commitment to follow means taking responsibility. Verse 32, 10 verse 32. says, we will assume responsibility. We'll assume responsibility. Or it says in mine, it will place under obligation. You're taking something on. Um, Like these guys are taking something on with the eldership. They're assuming a responsibility that they feel God calling them to within the life of the church. But it's not just for them to take on that responsibility. It's a great quote if you flick forward. Um, So I've gone for my points. Yeah, go, go, go. Go And one more. Is there one more? There should be one more. There it is. You may have come across this quote, and I, you know, I don't know who said it, and I like to quote who said it to give them credit, as it were. I didn't say this, but I liked it. It says, A disciple is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. You get it? A disciple is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. There's that sense of owning it together. Yes, elders have a part to play in that. And yes, we're laying hands on elders, but actually it's for all of us. And there's different responsibilities we might carry within the life of the church. And it's not to be a heavy deal either. Jesus says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. There is a way that he gives us of doing life and following him. I always ask myself that question, to be honest. When I get weighed down and a bit heavy and a bit kind of whatever, and, um, and it's the family at home, which we'll notice first, if I'm getting that way. My question is, is how am I not following Jesus through this situation? How am I not, am I not actually applying the gospel in this situation, in the way that I'm dealing with it? What am I carrying myself that I need to be throwing on God and casting my cares upon him because he cares for me? We do carry responsibility, but we want to carry it in the right way. But to be part of a local church, to move is to be, be responsible for the church's mission. That's what it means to be a disciple. Again, in a family, built on the foundation of Christ. The church is family. We carry that responsibility together. In family life, you have responsibility, don't you? If you're in a family. And you carry that. You know, Gene and I, we carry that together. It's not on my own. But sometimes people say, you know, the church is, is like a family. The church is not like a family. The church is a family. That's what it says. Brothers and sisters in Christ. God, Father. The church is family. And we give ourselves, we commit ourselves to that family and we go forward together. So it'd be good to maybe end with a song. You got a song lined up there, Paul? Yep, sure. Excellent. You guys want to get yourself there. I'd like to pray for us and, and just, just to, yeah, thank you for the way that you have given yourself to the church here, been committed giving yourself to the building of the church and now, we, we, as it were, it's good sometimes, isn't it? Again, just to go, do you know what? Yeah. I'm in. I'm giving myself to this for the next season. It's good to kind of do that sometimes. Again, remind yourself what it means not just to follow Jesus. And it might be this morning even that commitment for you might be the commitment. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you've been around a bit or you're just hearing stuff about this. You think, yeah, do you know what? I know I'm going to commit myself to someone. Ultimately, you will. We're all committed to something or someone in life. All of us. The question is what or who? And why? And maybe for you, you need to commit yourself first to following Jesus and ask, come and talk to us afterwards if that's you. 
Or maybe it's just that fresh commitment to following Jesus as part of the local church family. And let's pray. Yeah, Lord, I thank you so much for, again, grace. <laughs> thank you that that's our foundation. It's the grace of God, that, that Jesus, you came full of grace and truth, that Jesus, you are the grace of God to us. And all you've done for us on the cross, your life, your death, your resurrection, Lord, and uh, everything flows from that place. The building of the church flows from that place. Our, our serving flows from that place. Our giving flows from that place. And then we don't want it flowing from any other foundation than knowing what you've done for us and being recipients of that and that fueling everything that we do. And I pray, Father, for this next season. Pray, Lord, we come up to a new year and a new eldership team and all these things, Father. We want to pray for you've appointed us to bear much fruit. And that's not just individually either, that's together. And so, Lord, I pray that for just continued fruit from this church as they go forward into this next season. And grace to do what you've called them to do. You'll be speaking to people about their part to play in the life of this church, for, for this town, but also beyond this town to the nations as well. In your precious name. Amen. 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 Amen.